Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 108 of A Conversation With. Uh, today, we're joined once again by David Gray. How are you doing, David? John, it's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, great to see you again. And David and I are going to be getting into the Holy Liturgy and different aspects of it and how it speaks to today. And uh, there's a lot of resonance there as we'll, as we'll be proceeding out most appropriate to our chit chat here as uh, goes announcements. I invite all the viewers here to check out the WordPress site below www.apakistastasisinstitute.wordpress.com. And if you click on the news and information tab and scroll down some, you'll see the schedule and the link of the celebration of the divine office throughout the week. And this is open to anybody. You don't need to be enrolled in the school to join us. Uh, and it's, it's always uh, interesting to see new faces pop in. And, and why don't you have yourself be one of them, dear viewers? So you can get that on the WordPress site below, the link and the schedule throughout the week. We avail ourselves of the Bavarian Romarum, the Liturgia Erarum. We may even have uh, an Eastern office or two come next semester. But all right, that scene to David. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. You've been on before, uh, but tell us about your work um, in general. Yeah. So I am a convert to the faith back in 2006, by the way, of Gnosticism, um, Deism primarily, but a little flirtation with Protestantism. I'm um, a long history in Freemasonry prior to becoming a Catholic. And um, so I had to start out a preset, but and I was in the process of getting a master's degree in theology. So that's how I ended up with the master's degree in theology, teaching a little while, and really settled in and pursuing the work at St. Dominic's Media, where we're, we're publishing books on Catholic liturgy, Catholic history, and um, just really just trying to teach the real meaning and mystery of the mass is what I really feel like I've, I've been called to do. But, you know, I still talk, talk about other things, still Freemasonry, um, pro-life and things like that. So really just trying to just do the work that I can while I'm here. Excellent. Thank you for that introduction, David. And uh, David and I had indeed spoken about his time in the lodge in uh, previous episodes, whatever that number was, it'll be linked below here on BitChute and on YouTube. And indeed, one of uh, David's uh, recent books is a, a catechism on Freemasonry. Is that the proper title? Yes, sir. The Catholic Catechism on Freemasonry, the Catholic teaching on Freemasonry. <laughs> we're going to look really at the, the subject of an earlier book by David, and that's the uh, Divine Symphony and Exordium on the Holy Liturgy. So I had to look up that word, David. What on earth is an exordium? Um, you know, instruction. Um, so uh, uh, introduction, more so it's really a fancy word because what in a book I immediately jump into the introductory rites, right? So um, I wanted to distinguish between an introductory rite and an introduction. So, <laughs> so an introduction to the theology of the Catholic Mass. So that's what we're doing there with that word. Great. It's a fine old Latin word too. And I give you my, I give a thumbs up to any Latin root word. So there you go. Yeah. That's great. So the divine symphony, uh, David, what is the liturgy in general? I think that's a good place. We can hit it head on and then we can get into some, some specifics, but what is the, the foundational idea of all liturgy? 
Yes, the public worship of the church. And, and if in a Catholic catechism, we read about the Catholic catechism, uh, catechism of the church is really going to just talk about two liturgies of the church. That's the divine office, which you talked about. Um, and it's going to talk about the liturgy of the mass, which we believe is our highest form of prayer. So the liturgy altogether is a prayer, but in the liturgy also we find a rhythm of prayer and confession, prayer and confession. So, and so the liturgy is, and we'll talk about this more, I guess, but I'll just give a brief summary. The liturgy, liturgy is tempting, it was working to orient us to Christ, and it's also working to um, create in us a pattern of how we ought to live our lives liturgically. So it introduces us and then it dismisses us. And in, in between, it brings us um, the three comings of Christ. He who has come, he who comes, and he will come again. Excellent. Thank you there for, the, for that there, David. And uh, comprising the liturgy, we would see, uh, of course, the Holy Mass and the, the Divine Office after that. But also we need to recall uh, the liturgy would also include uh, various of the other sacramental ceremonies as well. And this, this uh, year-long rhythm and life, lifelong rhythm, I think every time a year runs its course uh, and we're, we're off to the, the beginning of the books again, so to speak, uh, on, a, on a superficial level, we say, well, we've been here, we've done that. And yet every, every encounter in the various facets of the liturgy uh, is is uh, it's amazing how one grows over over yeah. that uh, mulling over, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's what I love so much about being Catholic and and discovering the liturgical seasons, right? And there's so many ways, so many different ways we we can go with that. I, th I think the first thing we 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 think of, I mean, the whole word itself, liturgical season, right? And we think of season, we think of well, something has changed, something is new, right? And so when we're looking at the liturgy, we're like, okay, this is a liturgical season. What is new here? What has changed? And so we see we see different vestment colors when it comes to Advent or when it comes to Easter. Um, and so we see we see changes in in the liturgy itself, right? There, there's, um, uh, um, I think it's during Lent. We won't we won't say the the Gloria, right? So there, there's different things, you know. So it's it's a season of change, and it's a season. That also has climaxes. When we think of seasons like spring, we think, what is the climax of spring? For some, it might be, I don't know, Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> Others, it may be um, the green leaves. It, the climax may be fresh things are growing. Summertime, um, it may be, I don't know, the 4th of July. It may be the, the equinox. And so every season has its climax. And the same with the liturgical seasons. Every Each one has its own climax, whether it's um, the Easter Mass or the Christmas Mass. So there's always these these things that are that are going on, and also seasons are always headed in a direction, right? They always come to have a beginning and they have an end. So we also have to think when we think of Catholic liturgical seasons, we have to think about like, like that as well. That where are we headed? Where are we going? And not get so caught up in the next season, right? I know sometimes, like, I hate winter. Um, but 
there has to be a time where we have to enjoy the season for what it is and its beauty for what it is. And I just, Oh, I can't wait till spring is here. And so it's the same with, with Advents. And maybe we, I don't know, some people may want to get to ordinary time. I don't know, but Advent season is here. And so we have to um, get caught up in the waiting and the anticipating for Christ, the Adventist. And another thing I'll touch on about just liturgical season that we have to remember that um, liturgical seasons begin with the first word. I talked about season, but also let's just go at the first word, liturgy, right? So these seasons, Advent is for the mass, right? And so that's when we find um, who speaks for the mass, who speaks well, who speaks for that season is it's the liturgy. And it tells us what that season is for. It's orienting, orienting us to that thing. And so, um, it is, I think it's, you know, is you know, there's a lot we could just keep <laughs> hitting on there, you know, so, so many rich jewels that comes out with the liturgical seasons of the church. You know, I was, uh, I, I taught for a while at a Catholic school and, and they were very uh, liturgically minded. And I remember one of the, uh, the high school girls was shocked. Uh, they would have the school paper and they would ask you different things. And one of them was, what's your favorite church season and, and the, the girl was scandalized that I actually did say ordinary time. <laughs> <laughs> why was why was it why was the ordinary time? Is, is your color just green? I mean what is that? <laughs> I guess so. Although I will point out to the viewers both my shirt and David's background is purple here. So we really coordinated well. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um I don't know I like I like the the mundane I suppose of it or the mundane that can be sublimated or, or sanctified. I, I guess uh that would be an yeah answer. wow that's a beautiful thing. Yeah I like that. Um, and, you know, I think there is, um, there's an aspect of the liturgy, I, I'm at the, at the point as I, I um, try to, to scry the tea leaves in society, and uh, particularly in the West, I think we've left in the past decade, um, even the, the fumes of, of a, a Christian consciousness in the West, or at least in, mm -hmm. in my interaction with certain things where, even a few decades ago, people at least had a Christian background they could fall back on even if they wandered. And I see societies, they don't have even that to go back to. And we see a lot of quirky things, uh, I think, that are explained by that um, absence. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to run back, but I have a copy of the New York Times there, and they're speaking about uh, <laughs> uh, cyber witches and things like that. Oh, um, my goodness. Yeah. And, and we're at, at the point of really, truly, in, in, without being passive aggressive, the blind leading the blind at this point. But I think the liturgy can, can um, address these things just on a natural level, to say nothing of the supernatural. I mean, you mentioned this idea of the rhythms of seasons. We're in this um, monstrosity we, we've come to call, uh, not well, in the church Advent, but that's not the monstrosity. Um, the monstrosity is um this this christmas season in, in the yeah. secular sense and yeah. don't we we build up we build up we build up to it and then boom like my neighbors are going to pull down all their lights the st stephen's day yeah day one yeah <laughs> the idea that there's a the savoring of the build up yeah um and also the holiday can you speak to that not just christmas but also just in general we see this time and again throughout the liturgy yeah and it's I think we see in, in the liturgy itself, right? Now you, you hinted to this, to, to this in your preface that how in the liturgy, we're caught up in this divine time and space, right? The liturgy is the one thing on the face of the earth that takes us back 2000 years ago to the cross. So it's this timeless space where, where we see God 
looking at the liturgy and like his, his eternal right now. And I think one of the best examples of that is just the history of processions throughout salvation history, the procession into um, bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. I don't know that the procession through the desert with Moses, um, the procession, um, ultimately, I think the greatest procession, probably Jesus on his way to Calvary. So, but in that eternal now God, we also see in this, in this eternal right now of all these processions throughout salvation history, we see us processing the priest processing to the sanctuary. So in this, God sees all this in his, his eternal right now. So the Catholic mass and the Catholic liturgy in, in the Catholic um, liturgy, liturgical seasons, they're really oriented us. The word orient simply means East. They're always, they're always, it, we're, we're becoming an eastward people in that sense. We're a liturgical people. And so it, it has us moving in a direction now, which is, as you say, completely antithetical to what we see in the world. <laughs> in, in the world, they have these things that don't have any real ends, any real destination. Archbishop Jose Gomez talked about this recently when he's more so commenting on these things he calls pseudo religions, these things, whether we call them Marxism or wokeism, whatever we call them, that people seem to believe in these things that really have no supernatural ends or what, or what GK Chesterton called the new Jerusalem. Right. And I think one of the, one of the, I have this thing here, my wife got me, I think one or two years ago, I've never opened it up because I don't understand it, John. It's called an advent calendar, right? It has chocolate in it. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, um, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it because it, it goes 24 days and then what? So it's setting me up for this great disappointment, all right? Um, so <laughs> these, these advent calendars people buy, whether it's chocolate or wine or cheese, it has 24 days. Right. But that's not what Advent. Really, I, OK, I get some of it. I'm not going to like completely tear people down who make these things for their kids. I get the waiting and the opening up and this building up. But there is a whole nother story right after the Christmas season begins and it goes for, you know, another number of weeks. And so I really don't get the Advent calendar. It seems to set me up for disappointment and it doesn't really finish the story. Right. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you made a phenomenal point there between how how the Catholic liturgy and the world is so count is is, is so countercultural. What we're doing versus what we see in the world. I'm a few years beyond uh, grade school. We'll say I still I still get me those calendars every year. Those those <laughs> chocolate things. And I, if they got a wine calendars now, you better watch out. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, even in in, in uh, the secular world, the the dear uh, psychologists, they have a they have a, a problem every year. This is a phenomenon in their books, their DSMR and all this. The um the holiday blues or the post holiday oh, blues, yeah, yeah, right. Because again, people through no fault of their own are coming up in secular societies. They have uh, the the cave wall that's beamed into them, and that's all they know of of life in many regards and, and the rhythm of, of things and it's a real problem of being in in that those doldrums after after the holiday now some of that sunlight yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but some of that's <laughs> also just the cultural buildup and yeah. then nothing 
nothing there's there's no story after after that and you know, the best thing that they can offer us is maybe you should start spending money on valentine's day they'll have they'll have a next thing right yeah um but, but that's all it's about is it's very commercial um it's consumerism and really that's all they have to offer no real supernatural ends no true orientation no making us the people who they want to make us in secular society is just these consumers these people who place their trust in temporal things whether it's a ballot booth or whether it's you know a piece of jewelry or whatever it's just the these just these these things that have no real supernatural ends and so i i see why it's another reason why i think um suicide is just such a i think nowadays if you don't know someone who committed suicide, you probably know someone who knows someone, right? It, it's becoming that sort of tragedy and people are just losing hope, um, a lot of despair and because they just don't know where they're headed. Um, the liturgy offers us that. It make, again, it makes us the eastward people. It makes us uh, people headed towards Calvary. It makes us liturgical people. And so when we look at the liturgy and its rhythm of, um, at least in the Roman rite, um, rites, um, the standing and sitting and kneeling, um, praying and confessing. It's not just for that space, but what that space is trying to teach us, literally is trying to teach us through this repetition, is who you are in a liturgy to be that in the world, right? To, to be in a world who you have become through the liturgy. And that's what it's trying to, to do to us. And, you know, as, as, as a teacher yourself, um, and I know you, you, you really don't believe, I mean, you really don't, this, the, the method of, we talked about this, the method of uh, regurgitation, and we both believe that that's not helpful as far as uh, forming us who we're called to be, but um, there are some aspects, repetition is really important because it builds habits, right, so repetition and regurgitation are two different things, um, but what the liturgy is trying to do is just that building habits through repetition, not through some sort of regurgitation. So repetition um, is it, what it does is wants to form habits and these habits are, are tending to be lifetime habits, right? Rather it's like, you know, the, the trumpet I have back here um, again, it's um, building habits, how to play the trumpet, um, not just regurgitating the notes, um, but to play them in a rhythm that makes sense and that you feel and that you can communicate through your instrument. And so that's that's the same with the liturgy. Um, we're not just this physical repetition or regurgitation rather of standing and sitting and kneeling, but a true a true rhythm that has become habitual and lifelong is what the liturgy is trying to form in us so that we might be that people in the world so that in a world that we we um we we um have a due attention to the word of god that the the liturgy teaches us uh, teaches us what to say you know in the liturgy that the liturgy gives us what to say and so it's teaching us that the human language itself has a way to communicate what is true it gives us a divine language and so it teaches us how to speak. We may have learned how to speak in the world. We may have learned this, how to speak from our parents. But the, what the liturgy is doing is that it's giving us um, a new way to speak, 
about the most important thing so that when we go out to the world, when a priest tells us, it's a miss, it's a miss as go, you're dismissed that we speak and that we go into the world and we can speak of Christ in this way. Cause the liturgy has given us what to say is, is given us um, a direction to walk in. Um, our, our parents may have taught us how to walk. Um, society may tell us where to go to do this or that, but what the liturgy is teaching us is, um, where to go and how to get there, right? Um, and, and so we can look at everything, the kneeling and everything. It's, it's just the liturgy is, has, is, gives us everything we need to be in the world who we ever received through the liturgy. And if we just live our life liturgically, I don't think we, we you know, we, we would see much less of that disposition um, that leads to the despair and the suicide because we would have, we would know how to live and know where we're going. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting you bring the, the idea of we're given the text. Um, one of the, the, the principles I've intuited over the years with the liturgy is that, uh, I suppose we could say that theology of giving, uh, mm. the text is, is provided, uh, but also you know, the communion is given out. Um, wh whether in mass or the, or the liturgy of the hours, or even on, on processions out in, on the ember days, maybe, you know, the, the blessings are given out um, yeah. the, in, in, a, in a ceremony of religious profession, right? The, the, uh, the whipple and the veil are given out or the, the habit they're given um, or in St. Blaise's day and, and so forth. And there's, there's a deep, um, you know, there's a deep meaning to that. This is the church God uh, through the church giving you this, that, or the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, um, so yeah, the offering right, right? I mean, that's par excellence, right? The, what it means to, um, to where we make our offering, right? And it's really nothing. <laughs> You know, it's really nothing what we have. To, I mean, what do we have to give God, right? It's, it's, such a, it's such a really quirky thing. But we we give back all of that we have. And then we see that in the Sorsum Coda, um, you know, lift up your hearts to your Lord. We're lifting up to the Lord. And it's so sad at that moment, John. You know, I find that really the, probably the most tragic part in in the Mass, you know, compared to what we see happens with, with Muslims when they're at Juma or something like that. Um, you know, they'll shout, you know, Alu Akbar or something like that. And I think in here at the mass, when the priest says, lift up your hearts, what do we hear at the mass? And we lift them up to the Lord, you know, yeah, we listen to And I think that's right now, if we're going to shout and praise, we lift them up to the Lord. We lift, because we're saying our hearts, our hearts is not just, just this physical thing. Um, it's not just our, our beating blood, but the ancients, but they meant by heart, you know, it's just, just your essence, your being, who you, you are, who you truly are. We lift that up to the Lord. And that's the offering. Now there's the offering, whether we have bring our money or we, whether we have brought a cow or some diapers, I don't know what you're bringing to mass where you're at in the world, whatever you brought during the offering, right? Fine. But here during the Sursum Coda, the priest says, lift up your hearts, offer that, lift that up, your very selves, everything that you are, just your very life, lift that up, give that up to the Lord. And there is the oldest, I think one of the source of code is, I think one of the oldest parts of the liturgy, I think we can go all the way back to the liturgies of James and people like that, and we can find the source of code there. Um, so a very ancient prayer in a liturgy, and, and it is par excellence of that giving and that offering that you're, you're talking about. And then, so we've given ourselves to the Lord, just our, our very selves. And, but again, that's the best we could do. I mean, even that belonged to God, right? So there's nothing, 
there's nothing that we bring or nothing we can really offer in a mass that even compares to what we're about to receive during the rite of communion. You know, the ultimate giving, as you say, when Christ comes in the person of the priest to give us his very selves so that we may be like him, that we might become what we what we eaten. And, um, and, and it's sort of like saying, yes, thank you for giving me your very being. Yes, thank you for giving me all you have in, in your, your very self. Good, because now you're ready to receive who I want you to be, which is myself. Now that you've emptied yourself, now that you've given me all that you are, your essence, your heart, now I give you myself so that you may be like me. And this is the ultimate hope of God, right? In the scriptures, um, it says that, you know, God desires for everyone to come to the knowledge of truth. Here at the Mass, that happens uniquely, par excellence, in the way that it happens nowhere else in the universe, that we truly eat him who is truth, who is life, who is eastward, who, who, are we, who is the way who, who we're forming ourselves to be like. So, man, I mean, the liturgy is where everything is at. And it's sad that I just wish more people would know. And of course, uh, with Advent um, overshadowing at least the filming of this uh, this video, though it's, uh, it's materials evergreen, uh, <laughs> I would be remiss not to point out that the, the liturgical year, uh, in a sense, begins with Psalm uh, 24, 25, depending how you number them. Um, with, you know, I lift up my soul to you, O God. This is a, the oh. introit, for instance, of the first Sunday yeah. of Advent. I yeah. lift up my soul to you. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's awesome. Um, one thing that really strikes me about the liturgy, David, is, is indeed that aspect of physicality. And I think that very much speaks to a certain un, unhealthy trends in the West. Mm. Um, for various reasons, uh, the digital aspect of being um, a prominent one, I think, but not not the only one. Um, people's uh, people are be believing uh, in large numbers, it seems, that only ideas matter, and they they don't necessarily have to be connected to real world uh, stuff. <laughs> I'm having a a terrible row with the the truth community right now because a, a family amongst them is. Uh, in open adultery, and nobody understands why that that might be a problem in the truth community. Um, <laughs> but we see that in a lot of ways. Uh, the physicality of the liturgy. What is? How does that uh, help us uh, to understand this incarnational aspect of Christianity mm. uh, in general? Maybe you could speak to that first. What is that incarnational aspect, and then how does the liturgy develop it? Mm, man, that's man, that's a that's a rich idea, um, and a rich reality that you you presented. Um, and perhaps, you know, the Eastern rites get this a little bit better than us, right? Because they're they're much more physical, um, even the way they receive um, the communion um, with the, the intention and the the dipping of the wine and the bread together. Um, much more bells and smells, perhaps your traditional Latin right communities, perhaps that's his draw, you know, a lot more, a lot more physical. Um, but the admirable exchange, the God becoming man so that man might become like God, um, it points to that physicality 
of the divine life that you're pointing to, that God truly became one of us. He took on the flesh, right? And, and by that, that gulf and that separation, which existed between us and God, finally resolved those primordial questions that, that man has always asked from the beginning, like, who am I? Where am I going? How did I get here, right? Um, there may be a more profound question, like, why is there something other than nothing? But those, those are basically just primordial questions human beings have always asked and came up with some very strange answers, like, who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? Right? Is there someone greater than me? Might be another primordial question that human beings that have always asked and came up with some very strange answers. Maybe we should worship a cow. Maybe that's greater than me. Worship a rock. Maybe that's other. Um, maybe there's a God, but I can't really encounter him. So perhaps there's some sort of demigods that's like God and kind of like me. Um, but so those things never resolve really the question, even the Jews, the best they could come up with, right? The best they were, they were given in their, in their infancy was really, you know, what is the name of God? Well, it's a sentence. I am who I am. And so not even really a real personal name, something really physical to hold on to. And, and so Jesus Christ and his church resolves those primordial questions in just that really physical way and, and gives us a bridge through which we're never going to be separated from God again. So that admirable exchange, um, God becoming man so that man may become like God. Um, and then it's communicated in a liturgy in just, just the most profound way, because the liturgy is the only place on earth where you see the four presences of God there all at one time. God presence in president is people, God present in his priests, God present in his word. Um, now, those three things aren't really preternatural to the mass. I mean, those three things you can find outside the mass, you know, his, you know, with his people when they're at prayer, his priests um, can offer sacraments outside of the outside of the liturgy, you know, baptism, um, anointing of the sick. Um, the word of God, you know, we could read that anywhere. Um, I think there's even one saint who was talking about how, you know, you know, on, on the Louvre is, you know, where she would read it the most. So, but um, yeah, but then the Holy Eucharist, preternatural to the mass, it's, it comes to be nowhere else in the universe except in the liturgy. And so God who becomes man so that man may become like God offers that most uniquely, again, par excellence in her liturgy we consume him in just the most physical way. I think John six, I think it says gnaw is the Greek word or something like that. Just gnaw, um, eat my flesh, right? Drink my blood. I mean, this is crazy. This sounds ridiculous, but it is, man, I love how you, I love how you brought out just the physicality of the whole thing and how the, the liturgy participates in that again, also with its, at least for the Roman, right? Cause you know, either I know the Easterns, they don't, they don't, they have one posture, um, there were two postures standing or sitting. They don't, they don't kneel. And I think one of the Roman rites are, are the same way. I forget the name of it. Um, starts with a C, but the, um, but for, for the, as far as the rest of the Roman rites, we at least get that part right. Just the standing and sitting and kneeling and all the movement that's going on in the altar. Every time the priest says, um, um, 
um, peace be with you, every time he says that during the liturgy, there's some sort of movement, there's some sort of action, there's something going on. So it's always just this physical thing versus I think what we see in Protestantism, you might see some guy at the, at the altar, I mean, at the podium, usually at the middle of the whole church, right? And so our eyes are on him, he's just kind of standing there talking, maybe saying some things interesting. Same with Muslims, right? Um, a lot of, a lot of physicality with the prayer, but not a whole lot of movement, not a whole lot of action. So, um, yeah, Catholicism gets it right with the admirable exchange and how we participate in that in a divine space. Excellent, thank you, David. And something that that really strikes me, maybe this can be our our um, our final point that we can we can dig into here, is the aspect of liturgy in in society that. <clears throat> and we see this very, very much uh, in the medieval period where, you know, the, the, the town is physically built around the church yeah. or the uh, or the university uh, in the same idea. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, you know, the college garb is, is monastic garb originally. Um, but even in, in times more recent to us, the 19th century, the 20th century, um, where where there was a a. Um, I would say generally a, a more liturgical look, and part of that had to do with the liturgical movement that was getting going and so forth yeah. uh, in those days. Uh, you had, you know, this, uh, this real um, ideal <clears throat> of the incorporation of all parts of society into the holy liturgy. And what I mean by that is um, this idea of the whole community coming together in the morning, if, if only the Sunday morning or throughout the week, and then dispersing um, and then you see the different hours of the office where there's a type of congregation once again, mm -hmm. or the different facets of society in the old days with the sodalities and so forth, they would all have their, old, their own masses for their, their special saints day and, mm -hmm. and so forth. And then, and then from there flowing out, out of the altar, ultimately, um, you know, the, the different cultural um, practices that, that developed. I, I recently discovered the, the Fete de Catherinettes, which was a French festival for unmarried girls on St. Hmm. Catherine's Day, or uh, in a wholesome way, Mardi Gras, or, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the, the pilgrimages that still go on during Pentecost over in France and so forth, and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, even in America here, right, on different feast uh, days for saints and so forth. But can you speak to that, how the, the holy liturgy within the church, how that can permeate um, our own lives, our families, our neighborhoods, and then all of society in a very visible way. We also think of processions out, Eucharistic processions and so forth on, on Corpus Christi or the Ember Days and, and, and Rogation Days and all that. So yeah. Can you speak to that, David? Yeah, and that is exactly what the liturgy desires to do. I think that's the language of the church that it wants. It just doesn't want to form Catholics, right? I think it wants to it wants to form a whole world and orient a whole world. And you know, Jesus gives his apostles a great commission to go out into the world and teach everything um, that I've, I've um, taught you in baptizing, baptizing in the name of the Holy Spirit, uh, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so that's really the function of the liturgy that go out to the whole world, preach everything I've taught you. Okay, this is the first part of the second part of mass, the, the liturgy of the word um, is the liturgy of the word. And, and that part of the mass, it takes one in a rhythm of prayer and confession, the, 
the liturgy of the word takes on the aspect of um, confession, God confessing his love for his people and us responding back to that love, you know, thanks be to God. Um, and, and so, um, so that's that fulfillment of the great commission, go into the world, teach everything that I've taught you. Hopefully the homilists will participate in that work, not, um, um, go into some other work of self-indulgence or a, um, um, a comic routine, right? Hopefully he'll participate in that work of recapitulating what we've heard and apply it to our lives and to what's going to happen next. Um, baptism, like you said, the sacraments, uh, the, their proper place are within the context of the liturgy, even the funeral rites. And so, uh, so we see the life of the traditions that are being passed down for one generation to the next, creating a community, a community in which whose which these generations uh, form us not into communities that are apart from the church, but a community that are in the church that are brought together through these traditions in the liturgy. And then just the after we've become who we eaten, um, the liturgy says, well, go into the world and you proclaim the gospel again. Um, preach to the world everything that I've taught you. So, and we've received that. Not only have we received that, we've become that. We've become Christ in the world. So we go into the world, these people who the liturgy has, has formed us to be, who's, who's heard the word of God, who's become Christ in a way. These liturgical people go out into the world, and then our work is to, in our own, whatever our own vocation or advocation is, to create in that space a liturgy, not in a liturgy of, you know, you're at work and the first thing you do is call people to an act of contrition or anything like that, or, um, you know, it's, it's not a, a formal type of sense, but first order our day like the liturgy. So we begin our, our day sort of like the mass. Um, we would like to begin with a sign of the cross with some prayers. And then throughout the day, our life is like this liturgy. We're hearing the word of God on our tongue and our minds and our tongues and our hearts is, is the word of God. Um, and also our, our, our life is liturgy because like you said earlier, we're, we're giving and receiving primarily we're giving away what we receive, which is Christ into the world. Um, we're being a gift to the world who is Christ in, in that way. And then, and so, and so being this liturgical people outside of the mass, what would, what would, what would happen is that everything around us in our space, whether it's our workspace or our family or the fun things that we do, whether it's our bowling club, all these things start to work in that direction of not having just these temporal ends, but having this divine end so that everything that we do, whether it's our work or the fun things we do, our family, everything is oriented <clears throat> to that new Jerusalem, to that end, to Calvary. So that, that's, that's the work. And I think, I think that's the hope of the liturgy, that we become this liturgical people who create in, their, in our own spaces a mass. You know, lately, I was uh, going over um, the book of uh, Genesis and, and reading the notes in particular there. And uh, the commenter brought up the point, uh, and you see this in Romans as well, in, in the Noetic Covenant, and then also in, in the New Covenant. Um, this idea, if you look at those covenants, those are made with all of creation. The, no, the Noetic Covenant is with all of creation, I think Genesis yeah. 25. 
And on the same, we see that also that all that Paul says, all of creation groans and is awaiting uh, redemption. I forget yeah. that is my parsing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that we see that all of life, um, primarily men, the summit of creation, um, uh, on this earth, at least, uh, besides the angels, but also the the created order, even the liturgy has found um, customs, you know, the, the blessing of animals on St. Francis's day and so <laughs> forth, the use of even the idea, uh, obviously, bread, wine, oil, smoke, uh, salt, water, um, but also even the idea, the whole theology of the physical church building, mm. Which, yeah. which has a physical, that can be a sacred space in, in a literal sense of a physical dimension of space that is set aside. Um, yeah. this, this doesn't exist in um, Western Protestantisms. It does not exist in uh, Islam or Judaism either. The, this idea of um, the physicality of the meeting space itself being, being holy. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, we, yeah, we could have touched on that. Yeah, a moment ago we were just talking about the physicality. Yeah, the and and Pope Benedict, I think when he in uh Spirit of the Liturgy, I think he was still Ratzinger back then, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. Um, wrote about that in the Spirit Spirit of the Liturgy he has a whole chapter on just sacred space and what that means in importance of a set apart space. When uh, the wife and I we were getting uh we were engaged and so you know we meet the priest and everything you know how that goes and so the wife of course you know she wanted you know i guess since she was a kid you know the beach wedding right so and um and you know the priest was you know he's accommodating he's like okay but then he he really expressed um the sacramental aspect of marriage and the importance of the sacred space as place set apart for god and and so yes Again, being a liturgical people, we recognize that yes, um, in when we celebrate liturgy to mass, we have a set apart sacred space. It doesn't have to be beautiful, right? You've you've been you've been to prisons, you know that where they have mass at is temporarily not the most beautiful place um, during times of war. Mass is not the most beautiful place, you know. But so we celebrate where we where we can, but. That space, whatever it is, is set apart and sacred for God for the work. Now, in our own lives, right, we 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 do the same thing, and we should have that sacred space. Being a liturgical people, we should have a, a closet or set apart space in our house. Um, we also um, make sacred those things that belong to God. Pope Benedict not only taught Reisinger, not only talked about sacred space but also sacred objects so sacred objects sacred spaces in them have sacred objects things that belong to that space and here i would really point to something um that christ said he said render unto caesar what belongs to caesar and what render unto god what belongs to god this is what happens at the liturgy right um through that 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 giving and communication, we render ourselves, we lift up our hearts, we render unto God what belongs to God, which is ourselves. And what we will hope to do is when again, when we leave the mass, that sacred space, um, we recognize that in that sacred space, one of the sacred things was us. Um, our life is sacred. And so when that sacred object, that sacred object, um leaves the sacred space it doesn't lose its sacredness 
is still a sacred human being that belongs to God. And so this holy thing in now in the world, which has received the most holy thing, Christ, this holy thing, it's like what we do with relics. What we do with relics, we see a relic, we'll, we'll put our rosary to it. Now it becomes like a third class relic, right? <laughs> and so a sacred thing touches a sacred thing. It becomes sort of sacred itself. So when we're in the world, these sacred, these sacred things, these sacred beings, we should be touching other people in this way so that they, in a sort of sense, they become a third-class relic, right? There's some sort of holiness that rubs off on us. And so we're, we're so infectious, right? We should be, um, the Catholic people should be sort of like a, like a, um, like a COVID virus. It should be like five days of slow to spread. People should be worried about us, right? <laughs> There's three days of slow to curve. People should be concerned about how much impact um, us touching others should be. People should be wearing masks around us. They should be wearing bags around us if they don't want to be holy, right? Because that's the impact that we should be having on the lives of others. Just walking around just like these relics and, and whatever, you know, just, just infecting people with our holiness. Um, and so that's the hope, right? Um, and so the tragedy is that there's not enough um, of that, right? But that's the work, and that's what we all should be striving towards. So these, the sacred space is for sacred things, sacred objects, and one of those sacred objects leaves a sacred space, and it's still sacred, and it should be still sanctifying the spaces that they're in. Yes, you know, we mentioned the, the, um, some of the ill effects of, of secular modernity and, and some of the hopelessness that sometimes people find themselves in. And I mean, that, that's tremendously optimistic what you just said there. If, you, if one really grasps the profundity of that, um, that, that life-affirming uh, point that you just made there, David, like, like so much in our talk here, it's, um, we see the liturgy speaking to so much, including this, uh, this great loneliness We've gone well beyond anomie, uh, uh, this great, this great um, poverty that, that we have in the West, um, uh, spiritually, and then also, you know, interpersonally and, and, and psychologically and so forth. A liturgy can, again, very much uh, show that to us and, and uh, kind of buck us up in that, that way. That was very beautiful what you said. Yeah, thanks, John. So, David, uh, tell us about any projects you have working on um, these days, um, your, your radio work, and um, also tell us about your teaching. I see you had some classes there on your website. Tell John, us. You, you inspired me. We had this conversation offline, and I told you how much I miss teaching, and, and so um, you told me a little bit about your work, and so you definitely inspired me um so yeah i think start so starting in the fall 2000 well starting probably january i'm just gonna offer like start you know during the work of offering classes online i'm gonna start with just teaching have a whole course on the catholic teaching on freemasonry just have a whole course on that so that's the first thing i'm gonna jump into and get my feet wet and then hopefully as we move towards the summer i'll have a course on the history of god and religion um the world will call that con comparative religion but again when catholics teach comparative religion it's more like we're saying we're right and this is how we this is how everything else has been fulfilled by christ so it's not comparative at all it is showing 
um, a fulfillment in Catholicism. So I want to I want to dip into that one in the summer. So hopefully um, by the time fall comes around, I'll have an introduction introduction to theology and I think an Old Testament prophet course. And we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I may be mad at you for inspiring me to get back into teaching. But um, but I guess what I hope to offer as someone who just loves Dominican spirituality, what I hope to offer and contribute to, I think, the thing that you have going on, which I love um, uh, with your, you know, your, um, you're teaching through literature and you're not really doing, you know, the standardized testing and things like that. What I hope to contribute to what you're doing is this thing I, I've want to call the, uh, you know, maybe a Dominican way of, of teaching that I wanted to be liturgical, I wanted to be contemplative. Um, and, and so, um, you know, rather than like grading, so, you know, of course there'll be essays and exam, I mean, essays and papers and things like that. But what I want to contribute um, is oral exams. And so not just oral exams, like um, what's the definition of this? You tell me, but a conversation so that one, students can learn how to explain their faith and defend their faith, but just build confidence through, through the oral exchange, right? And so, so that's what I hope to contribute. And so we'll see how it goes. Excellent. Well, I look forward to hearing how that takes off <laughs> in the time ahead there. Um, and I'll have David's um, website uh, down here on uh, BitChute and YouTube, that's going to be down below in the description there. So please check that out, especially with the new semester coming upon us and all. So um, excellent. So any closing thoughts there, David, as we knock off? No, man, I'm really, I'm really happy that we had an opportunity to come together and, and speak about the most important things. Always love my conversations with you. I wish we both had more time. We could have a whole thing that we do every week because you're so smart and insightful. And um, I think we we, 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 every time we come together, we get, have an opportunity to, to talk about the most important things. Great. Well, thank you, David, for your time. And thank you, viewers, for your uh, time and attention. We look forward to reading your correspondence uh, in, the, in the chat as well. So, all right. Over and out, everyone.